big city. The kind of a place where if you don't watch your back, you'll end up wearing a sign that says, kick me. <laughs> the name's Spud, Sam Spud. I'm a private detective, a Seamus, a gumshoe. Gimmicks, a podcast about the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking gimmick episodes of TV, from musicals to bottle episodes to noir parodies. I'm Derek B. Gale, and who's with me today? I'm Doug, and I'm thrilled to be adding another podcast to my IPDB page. IPDB, is that real? Does that exist? That can't, that doesn't exist, right? <laughs> oh, I don't, I don't know, but I hope not. I guess maybe Podbean is that? Oh, uh, I guess We so. We both, yeah. I learned this recently, we both have a... Uh, like just inherently generated or like automatically generated Podbean profile page that lists all of our podcast credits. So can't oh, wait to throw this one on there too. Nice. I have to check that out and uh, <laughs> probably clean it up. <laughs> yeah, I know. That was my first thought. <laughs> yeah, hey, Doug, since we're recording this pretty late, how about a little nightcap? Oh, I would love one. Yeah. So here's your little sleeping cap. It's going to match your old timey pajamas. Mm. Uh, realizing now that that was a much better visual gag that is an audio gag. Uh, <laughs> so if you watch the episode. That'll be funny. And if not, we'll just move on. That's right. Just insert a rim shot uh, anytime a joke doesn't land. <laughs> Actually, yep, that kind of works. <laughs> I might do that. We are talking about step by step. Season 3, episode 21, entitled The Case of the Missing Diary. Just a quick overview, if you're listening and have never heard of Step by Step before or are completely unfamiliar with it, it was a family sitcom that aired from 1991 to 1998, created by William Bickley and Michael Warren, and developed by Thomas L. Miller and Robert L. Boyette. You might recognize those names uh, under the name Miller Boyette Productions. That name was stamped on a ton of shows throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, from Happy Days to Perfect Strangers to Full House to Family Matters. So kind of part of that whole family sitcom family. Sort of a legendary roster, I would say. I would say so. And that's that's not even like, I mean, that's not all of them. I mean, they even technically produced like all the Happy Days spinoffs that existed and some other kind of lesser known sh- shows too. Um, so yeah, uh, definitely, definitely legendary production company. Step-by-step plot-wise is sort of a modern-day Brady Bunch. It's about two single parents, played by 70s and 80s TV icons Patrick Duffy of Dallas fame and Suzanne Summers of Three's Company fame. Uh, They wed and form a blended family with their six total children, you know, plus any random funny cast members that they add along the way. Uh, It ran for six seasons on ABC's TGIF block at the height of that block's popularity. Then it was picked up for a final seventh season alongside the final season of Family Matters on CBS. I don't even remember Mm -hmm. it ever airing on CBS, but only lasted for one season before that block, I think, kind of tanked and it was canceled for real uh, at the end of the seventh season. But before we go too too much deeper (laughs) into it, Doug, what is your personal history with Step by Step? Yeah. So Step by Step is one of those shows that for me, just like in my memory and experience, sits right alongside Full House, Family Matters, um, all those sort of like 90s sitcoms 
um, that I both watched probably in part of their like on their original run but then also again in syndication if they made it to that point i'm assuming this one did because i feel like i couldn't have watched as much as i did if it were only on tgif but i don't know maybe it was do you have any idea yeah i think it was mostly in syndication on abc family okay it actually was their i think one of their longest running like reruns that they had in that entire channel's history. Like, which is saying a lot considering they got kind of all the ABC shows, but step by step, I think lasted on there in reruns even longer than full house did. Um, and then it's been in and out of reruns since then. Honestly, that's pretty wild because that means that as much as I remember from this show really did come from me watching it on TGIF because I didn't have ABC family. So this show really stuck out in my memory or really like made an impression, which I'm kind of surprised by. I was going through, you know, the episode catalog. It's currently available on HBO Max if anybody did want to check this episode out um, or just revisit step by step, which I wouldn't not recommend. I, I watched a bunch of selected episodes um, just in, I guess in preparation for this, but also because I was having such a good time um, and I was laughing a lot and I was remembering a lot, which is really, really wild. I think this show maybe has certain things about it that stick in my memory more than other shows I was watching at the time. So like I probably remember a lot about Family Matters, but I probably remember very specific eras of Family Matters, like when it started to get really weird and was like all Steve Urkel, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm sure I remember certain things about Full House, but maybe the earlier stuff and less the later stuff, kind of the opposite of Family Matters. But Mm -hmm. this, I was picking, you know, a couple episodes from every season. I didn't quite get to the seventh season, but I remembered like everything I was watching. I think maybe just the fact that like it was sort of a familiar format. I was familiar with the Brady Bunch. So the fact that it was sort of that format, uh, the fact that I think it's, I still think it's really funny, like funnier than I remember it being. Um, And there are like certain things, you know how you watch a show and you look back and you're like, oh, of course I gravitated to this, even though I didn't know why I was gravitating towards it. Sure. I think there are just certain things about this show that I appreciate and can put words to now that I didn't necessarily at the time because I was like three years old or four years old when it started. So I would have been watching it like as a really, really young kid. Mm -hmm. But just like Karen fucking Karen like everything about Karen is great uh I love Karen and Dana I remember really liking them but I wouldn't have been able to tell you necessarily why and rewatching it I'm like well, of course I liked Karen and Dana um <laughs> and then like the the youngest kid at the time Brendan I think was like a couple years older than me when the show was airing and so there was like the shy little idiot kid that I'm sure I had a crush on as a shy little idiot kid so like mm. They're just like little, and the the parents are super horny. Like there's so many things Mm -hmm. about it that I think just really like, like get their hooks in you, whether you actually know what's going on or not. Sure. That's really fascinating because. Oh, and Cody. Sorry. Oh (laughs) yeah. I mean, so many things about it that that when you revisit, you're like, oh shit, that's right. (laughs) Yeah. Cause Cody was kind of the breakout, right? Like I know that he was the Steve Urkel of this show. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that's so fascinating because my experience was the exact opposite because I was full in on TGIF. Like I, I know full house, like the back of my hand and continued into fuller house too. Mm-hmm. Um, and family matters as well. And like, even like the lesser shows, like the shows that only lasted like one season later on teen like, angel, uh, te- the teen angel and you wish are the two that I'm thinking. I don't even of right remember now. you wish. <laughs> Wait, was that like a teenage <laughs> genie or something? Yeah. I okay, don't know if it was a teenage kinda... genie or if it was a, teenager with a genie but gotcha yeah yeah 
Yeah. I mean, even those like latter day lesser remembered ones, like I can visualize those better than I could step by step. Step by step for some reason never hooked me. Like, and it wasn't any, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I really loved the, uh, the opening theme song and the opening mm-hmm. credits and was always very enamored by them. <laughs> Cat, pop, possibly the catchiest theme song of like all TGI, TGIF shows of that era. I feel like, like that's, I feel like I remember that song better even than like full house and family matters, despite watching like every episode of those shows. Yeah. And I noticed something very striking, striking about them all being at the, at an amusement park, uh, with the badly digitally inserted ocean. Did you, (laughs) Oh my God, that's so funny. Right. Which I don't even understand. Like, was there not, there was a parking lot. Oh, okay. I was like, is it not actually on a coast? That's so weird. It's the six flags, magic mountain in Valencia, California. I knew it was six flags, magic mountain, but I had no idea. I have no idea where that actually is. Like, so I Mm -hmm. I knew like the name of the park and that was the extent of my, my knowledge. I have a question for you. Did you watch much more of the show or did you just watch this and then like dive into the production? I watched a little bit of it. Okay. So, cause I, so, cause that was the other thing I was going to say is that I think maybe what didn't work for me with the show is that, Obviously, if you when you're watching it, you know, continually, you get to know the characters Mm -hmm. well, obviously, like you would with any show. But I think like if you're just dropping in every so often, like I probably would have would have been as a kid. I do think that the structure this is going to sound so stupid, but like the structure of the children makes it a little harder to like instantly get who everybody is in a way that I think you often need to with a sitcom, especially with this big of a cast like with Brady Bunch. The kids are all like color coded by hair and by gender. You know whose kids belong to who, and and when there's oh. like cat, you know. It's and in clothes, this case, Derek, it's their clothes in this show. Their clothes tell you whose kids are whose. <laughs> How? What do you? Oh, because, I guess I, because Carol's kids are all like more prim and proper in one way or another. So either sure. you have a nerd who's prim and proper in a nerd way or you have the popular girl who's very put together or you just have like the quote shrew and then all of frank's kids are sort of like in more sort of like baggier boyish uh like rough and tumble. they're they're more likely to wear like sports type clothes stuff like that so yeah I guess but if you're popping out. in that's it's it's right. not as easy a detail as like brown hair versus blonde hair right and it's like a thing where you know like like if you're watching full house there's three daughters it's it's okay if their personalities aren't like super heightened like because you, it's a lot easier to, to know them when you have like six main kids in addition to you know the parents in addition to any other characters they throw on there i feel like for me i would have needed the archetypes to be a little more heightened and apparent Obviously, like credit that that it, they're a little more nuanced about it, as nuanced as you can be in a family sitcom like this. So, like, cool for doing that. But it did make I think it always made it harder for me to kind of hook into like who it was and figure out if I'm just dropping in on one episode out of context. It's really I think a lot harder to figure out like who I actually like because um, a lot of them just kind of look roughly the same. <laughs> I even I did watch the pilot episode, and even then. Uh, I watched it before, you know, actually looking up the Wikipedia description of who each child was. Mm-hmm. And it still was so hard to be like, wait, oh. who is that kid? Okay. I can break uh, it down I get so that. quickly for you. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I, it's better now because I've studied up on it. Yeah. But even like I was just watching the pilot. And I'm like, okay, you know, there's the the one girl who's like kind of a vain beauty. And then there's the girl who's the tomboy. And then there's another girl and who's there's the shrew. A, She's the a, shrew. a boy who's, <laughs> who's young and there's a boy with uh, glasses. And then it's like, I couldn't, I mean, it, it wasn't enough, I guess. Um, and again, obviously if you watch enough of the show, like you get who everybody is and their personality traits, sure. but even at the pilot, I don't think 
from the first episode, it's very clear what each child's sort of role and like sitcom archetype is. Um, and yeah, I the think, pilot is way more about the parents than it is the kids. Right. Which I think I appreciate that more now because it's sort of like, yeah, two like hot parents like making out all the time. Like I'm here for that. I get that. Uh, but as a kid, you know, I needed to connect to the, with sure. the children and I just never could. Um, and so I kind of would just not really, I would just sort of tune out pretty quickly. Uh, and I guess never really gave it a chance. And it's not a thing that I ever bothered to revisit like later on in life, because like these shows are, they're not like cutting edge comedy or anything like that. You know, they're kind of, they're kind of going for a very particular kind of brand of comedy. So I, I guess as I got older, I just was not really that interested because I didn't have the nostalgia for it in the way that I might like rewatch episodes of full house over and over again, whether or not they were funny episodes or not, though, I will say just uh, I watched the pilot and I watched the episode before this and include in, in addition to this one. And the sense of humor of this show does surprise me. I do think you would enjoy a lot of the very weird like pop culture, like at the time pop culture and even be like like older pop culture uh, that this show manages to work into its uh, humor. Did you see the next episode right after the one we're going to talk about has two characters that are specifically based on Beavis and Butthead? Yeah, I like, saw the, why? The, the thumbnail from it. It's bizarre. <laughs> it's so yeah, weird. It feels like this show was like actually kind of like a slightly edgier uh, Full House. I think it you is. Know, like, I, I definitely think it is. Yeah, I, which 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 I never would have thought that. And it's sort. it sounds so weird to say like step by step is edgier. But like... I feel like the sort of Miller Boyette at this time kind of um, paradigm was sort of more your full house vibe where it's like, well, if it's four families, we've just got to have cute kids and like likable parents and everything's nice. And step by step, like, yeah, the parents are allowed to be a little hornier, a little hornier, (laughs) a lot hornier. I think this show, it's funny. I, I have memories of sitcom parents doing the sort of like we're in bed, which lots of them do, but then also the like, pulling the covers over and then like moving under the sheets before it like blacks out or like credits roll or whatever. Right. And I think I'm realizing like that pretty much almost for me mostly comes from this show. Like that wasn't happening on full house. That wasn't really happening on family matters all that much. I don't think. Um, Yeah. I don't think like Phil and Vivian did that that much, although they were allowed to be a little bit horny too. Um, So I think it really was this and then rewatching it and seeing like the whole pilot episode yeah. Sort of like hinges on them deciding whether or not they're and and they say sex on this show a lot. Yeah. Like th- not just in the pilot, like in a lot of the other episodes I was watching, uh it's it's wild. It <laughs> I was is, like not it expecting is, it. <laughs> me either. Yeah. And it's sort of like, you know what, I'm here for it. Like I guess if you're going to cast like two of the hottest actors from their from their eras and be like they're a little older but like yeah, they're still hot, right? Have them make out a bunch. Like mm-hmm. cool. I'm here for it. Hey, I get fuck. it. <laughs> And spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the show and are interested, um, I guess like, I don't know, at this point, it's it's however old. But if you really don't want to know, we're inspiring you to watch it. Jump ahead 30 seconds. But like, we know they fuck because just like the Brady's, they have another kid. Like they end up with a seventh Mm -hmm. kid on the show. And it's like a whole big thing. This show, by the way, is probably how I learned that pregnancy is horrifying and painful. Oh, okay. Yeah, interesting. (laughs) Interesting. I have like burned in memories uh, from a particular (laughs) episode that I did rewatch because it felt like an important episode to sort of revisit. (laughs) Yeah. The episode before this, um, um, Carol gets hooked on diet pills. (laughs) 
There's a strange irony there, don't you think? Oh yeah, I think it was intentional because yeah. they make jokes about Suzanne Summers' mm-hmm. you know thigh master stuff pretty frequently. And um, in this episode, we're like... going to talk about she makes multiple references that yeah. are just jokes that are built on her own career. Yeah, that's I was so surprised. This episode in particular, I was so surprised at the meta humor in it and sort of like the sort of Zucker Abraham Zucker style of humor, like from like airplane and naked gun where it's just like weird, absurd, like, like puns and references. And someone says something funny and then has like the literal version of it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, I, it, it really surprised me. I, I did think this episode, I, I, I went into this sort of expecting the full house level of humor where it's sort of like, Oh, that's kind of amusing. And the kids are cute. And maybe there's like one thing that makes me kind of chuckle, but otherwise it's just like nice to watch. I really did think this episode was like legitimately funny uh, in ways that I did not expect. And (laughs) in kind of, yeah, for, for like the particular sense of humor that I have, like they, they nail a lot of this stuff that I did not anticipate them even attempting to go for. And it's definitely, (laughs) you know, it's exaggerated for this episode in a particular way because this is the episode that it is. It is a very specific, there's a specific gimmick to this episode, but the show in general, like has a lot of humor. I wasn't expecting or remember because I probably didn't get at the time. And like, unlike full house, these kids, the fact that there's twice as many kids and there's three on each side of the family, like a whole big piece of their humor is that, the kids are constantly like jabbing at each other because they're in, mm-hmm. I mean, full house. Come on. This is like six to seven children at any given time. If you have cousins <laughs> or friends or like, it's just a constant slew of, of kids and teenagers. Um, and so they're constantly jabbing in some way or another. And that often ends up just not quite to the degree that this episode is. Cause this episode is like a joke every like five seconds. Um, mm-hmm. But it is pretty like quick as far as uh, how many jokes they're, they're telling at any given moment. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, a lot more fast paced than I expected for sure. Um, this is just a funny random fact that I thought was really fun. Mm-hmm. And I think speaks to the self-awareness. Frank and Carol are named intentionally. Frank is named after the character Frank from 1968 film Yours, Mine and Ours, which mm. basically had the same plot of the Brady Bunch where it's uh, you know, a blended family. And Makes Carol sense. is, of course, named after Carol Brady from the Brady Bunch. I was wondering because like certain things about their names like felt like they were intentional, especially Carol. Like that's the one I picked up on, but then like Frank is not Brady, like whatever the Brady dad's name is. I'm Mike, for- Mike Brady. That's probably why I don't remember yeah. it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, I never actually looked up where their names came from, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think the yeah. kids' names are a little less inspired. <laughs> oh, sure. Sure. It's Friday night. And the mood is right. Hi everybody, I'm Candace Cameron from Full House. I'm Bridget Cameron. And I'm Melissa Cameron. And my sisters and I are here to play TGIF Trivia. Here's the next one. Up next on Step by Step, Frank hits the big 4-0. Will he fulfill his lifelong dream to A? Become a lounge singer. B? Meet the three stooges. Or C? Get a pilot's license. The answer's best. Some of the actors have like most of the kid actors aren't super recognizable, but like some of them had done stuff beforehand and a couple of them gone on to do other stuff. Uh, One Um, of them straight up disappeared, which I know you have probably figured out at this point. But like one of them is is you, you can't find him like he just was like, I'm out to the point where like he was written out of the series with no explanation and then just like has no online presence. (laughs) 
Like yeah, I, I'm, I <laughs> di- didn't have his name written down. Oh wait, no, I do. It's, it's the youngest one, right? It's jo- it's Bre- yeah, Brendan. Josh, Josh Byrne. Byrne. Brendan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very strange. I hope he's okay. <laughs> I, I'm hoping he's just living his best life out of the line. Sure. You know. Yeah. Uh, some well, some pictures like surfaced of him a while back, like cosplaying or LARPing or something. So I think he's living living a great life. Cool. Well, good for him. Good for him. He didn't seem to have much to do on this show because every no. episode I watched, including this one, he's just kind of in the background so and not talking. When you were talking about, <laughs> I, and, and that's part of like the humor in him being written off, but like when you were talking about the characters not having like very strong archetypes, I think five of the six kids do. And he's the one that like, he starts off as just like the dumb dimwit youngest. And then I don't think they know what to do with him. And I suspect maybe he just wasn't a great actor, which is hard to predict yeah. when you're, Hiring like sure. a five-year-old, you know, um, sure. and so I think they eventually just wrote him off. I don't think they've ever explained why he was written off, um, and then just disappeared. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably because no one knew what to do with them. <laughs> yep, yep, and nobody missed him. Mm-hmm. Not the character, not the actor. Right. <laughs> yeah the the actor who played Dana, Stacy Keenan, right before this, she was on the uh, My Two Dads, which I guess was a remake of the original one. Um, that had just been running on ABC. Brandon Call, who played JT, was on Baywatch apparently right before oh, that's this. Hilarious. Yeah, uh, Sasha Mitchell, who plays Cody, <gasps> he was. What was that noise that you made? <laughs> he ended up. He gets written off the show too because he ends up like going to prison for oh. I think, domestic abuse. <laughs> but no, it's okay. It's actually things have come out about that. Though. Oh, okay. So they wrote him off for that because he was. Yeah, he. I was, know he returns at some point he, briefly. He was accused of that, but then it turned out later on that he actually wasn't responsible for it. It was like, he was, he was protecting his kids from his wife who was a drug addict and Ah. actually ended up getting full custody of his kids after the fact. So they wrote him off because of all that, but that's why they let him come back for that one cameo is because it's sort of like, Oh shit, you actually didn't do it. That makes me feel so much better because he's so good. He is so good. good. I mean, they write him really well and he, he is, is this a wild thing to say? He's the best. And it's it's largely a very specific character. But I think he's the best on this show. <laughs> I mean, he in is this, incredible <laughs> in this episode and the one that I watched before it. I definitely would say that. Obviously, it's a small <laughs> sample size for me, but like, I mean, this episode would not work without him. No, and without him doing the very particular impression that he's doing. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, wild. But he 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 was on Dallas before this alongside Patrick Duffy. I had no idea. Enough. Yeah, yeah, really really cool. Um, after this show, during or after the show, Christopher Castile, who plays Mark, he would be in the Beethoven movies. Um, then I think he kind oh. of retired from acting after this show is over. Um, and Christine Lakin, who plays Al, she's done a ton of like TV roles and voice acting roles. This surprised me. She's in Mass Effect Andromeda as oh. one of the lead characters. She plays PB, the Asari, uh, in your party. No so, way. Which I was really cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. uh, she has like an interesting journey over the course of the series because like around well I guess it would have been this season or the next season like this three or four area um, she starts like getting to the point where like she was a tomboy but she's like hitting puberty so she's like they have a few episodes at least that deal with her like learning to date while also being like but am I girly I don't think so like and trying to figure out what that means to be sort of like not stereotypically girly, but like mm-hmm. wanting to do girl things, quote girl things and like what that means, especially since her stepsisters are both like, you know, kind of like hyper feminine right. in a way. Oh, word. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. 
I don't really have, <laughs> I guess this isn't a surprise. There's not like a ton of writing on this show. Like I didn't, I wasn't surprised there wasn't like academic writing or whatever, but I couldn't even really find like a lot of interviews or anything particular pertaining to this episode. Like I thought maybe there'd even be like a TV guide interview or an actor was like, we shot an episode this season where we're in cool costumes. But if that exists, it's kind of, uh, I, I wasn't able to find it anywhere, um, which is sort of disappointing because this episode is really fun and seemed like they had a blast doing it. And I would have been curious, like, what everyone's sort of thought process was mm-hmm. um, because I mean, for one, the actors seem to be way more committed than I think I would have expected them to be <laughs> to like, like that's, that sounds like faint praise, but like they didn't have to put on the impressions as, as well as they do mm-hmm. in this episode, you know? Um, so I would have been curious to hear the thoughts, but not really much on it. I have a feeling this might be the only podcast that's, ever been done on this particular episode of this show. <laughs> I haven't even found like a step-by-step rewatch podcast. If you exist, you're not showing up on my Apple podcast search. All right, so well, maybe do something about that. Watch out while I claim that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I guess I'm kind of not surprised because this show weirdly doesn't seem to have had the, the sort of staying power yeah. in like the cultural consciousness in the way that like full house and family matters did. It doesn't really have like the same impact. I don't know. Is it because it's basically a remake of Brady bunch? Like, I don't know why it wouldn't have hit as Maybe. hard or like, what was it about full house that hit so much harder than this? Full House, I guess, I mean, maybe it was just simple as Full House coming a few years earlier. And they had Michelle. Yeah. And this kind of comes in the shadow of that. And Family Matters, like, it's it's like kind of a partial spinoff. And the fact that it is a black family on mm-hmm. a predominantly white block, I think, helps it stand out. Yeah. And I think Step by Step, yeah, it's sort of that weird middle ground where it's like, I guess it's it's not offering enough of a hook to audiences to sort of stay in your in your brain because there's plenty of other sitcoms that feel like there's there's similar premises to it or maybe have like a similar vibe. And, and you know, this is definitely isn't the last sitcom to take like aging actors that were hot, you know, a decade ago and then bringing them back as parents at a sitcom. Like that's, mm-hmm. that kind of thing happens all the time too. So yeah, it's just sort of interesting the, the sort of weird space that it holds, but it was obviously successful and people I think remember it fondly when they do remember it at least. Yeah. Well, that's what's <laughs> so weird to me, right? Is like, even for me, I think without this sort of re like this, this selective rewatch that I was kind of doing this weekend, like, I don't know that I would have listed this as one of my favorite sitcoms of the era. I think I just would have listed it as one of the ones I watched. Sure. But I do think if I were to rewatch Full House and rewatch this, like, I don't know how the scale would tip because I had so much fun watching this. Um, yeah. And I've rewatched Full House episodes that I didn't have as much fun as I thought I would rewatching. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Full House definitely doesn't hold up as well. Like, it is very much like a nostalgia-driven kind of thing, which I think, like, the reason that I think Fuller House was as successful as it is, like, I fucking straight up unironically like Fuller mm-hmm. House. And it's because it kind of embraced the fact that Full House wasn't really, like, a very good show. <laughs> and it only it only works with, like, nostalgia. So you, like, you just try to emulate exactly what, what it was to be watching that Fall House in the 80s and 90s but as if you're watching it in the 2000s yeah um so yeah yeah it's uh yeah i was definitely very surprised by how much i liked this i guess is uh, what <laughs> oh, it amounts to the reason i initially asked you if you had watched much more than than the pilot in this was and this is specifically for you that that i know you would enjoy they like update the credits like the opening credits for this show but like they don't fully 
like rework the entire credits. They just like make new scenes at the amusement park with the actors like grown up. So they're still going to the amusement <laughs> park, but like if a character's no longer on the show, they they like either replace that with a character that is on the show now or they just like continue to update it as the kids grow up. I did notice that when I when I watched from the pilot to the third season, yeah. and even then, like they've cut out and replaced like <laughs> two characters at least. Who I totally forgot. Yeah, who's like her her mom and her, her sister? Uh, mom and her sister. Yeah, like, I mean, okay. <laughs> I remembered the sister after after watching a couple of the first season episodes because her whole thing was like being horny for her sister's husband, which I guess would get old after a while. So maybe it's not a surprise <laughs> that they wrote her out pretty yeah. quickly. And and Cody was a good replacement. It seems yes. like for that. Yes, so. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It's time for the season premiere of Step by Step, where you teach Mark karate. Yeah. Cody, what's next on your TGIF chow down? Oh, Don't tell me. Wisconsin cheese? <laughs> Not just any cheese. Cheese in a can. <laughs> yeah. To our favorite ABC show, Step by Step. Bottoms up. <laughs> So as for this particular episode, you know, like I said, I don't have a lot. Of, I don't really have any background on the making of this episode at all. Uh, if anything even exists, if any writing exists out there, I wasn't able to find it. Um, but the gimmick of it is that this is a noir inspired episode and basically a noir parody. Um, and if that sounds familiar, we actually just did a noir episode. Um, and originally, I think even in the recording of that episode, I'm sort of like, yeah, we have another noir episode on the books later on down the line. Um, I was going to have some space in between them because noir episodes are going to come up all the time. They're really common. Um, so I was just going to have a, you know, a few weeks in between and then have this one pop up. But I decided to put this right after last week's episode because I think it's really fascinating how it's two episodes of two different TV shows doing a noir pastiche, but like taking the exact opposite uh, swing at how to do it. Because last week was a, was Smallville doing a noir episode, and their sort of idea is to focus on emanating noir as perfectly as possible. So they wanted to do an episode that, like, if you turned on your television and you watched it, you could mistake it from an, for an actual movie from the 1940s. Mm-hmm. So there's no playing with the tropes. It is like it is the most basic run of the mill noir story <laughs> intentionally. So like. There's there's no jokes about it. It is played completely straight, just with the actors you recognize from the show filling in the roles and acting like they are in a movie from the 1940s. And I think it's very good. It is very much like an artistic experiment. But then you have the exact opposite with Step by Step, where it's like, we're going to do a noir episode and have as much fucking fun with it as possible. <laughs> like, we're going to still take the same basic trappings of it and still have, like, your sort of hard-boiled detective mystery story. But, like... Do it, but like pack as many jokes in about the sort of language that you have in film noirs mm-hmm. as possible, which I think is really interesting and really funny. Um, and both and and both both directions I think ultimately are very effective in the different ways that they're attempting to do it. Yeah. What I okay. So the Smallville one was that one in black and white. Yeah, so it's in black and white. The camera angles are wildly different from anything that looks on the show. It looks like a period piece. Sure. Like, it's, it is a beautiful looking episode, like the way that they use shadows. Because, okay, if you haven't listened to last week's episode, I know obviously you haven't done <laughs> But if you haven't listened to last week's episode and you're, like, not really super familiar with film noir, I think most people get the gist of it. But I dug into, like, a little bit of exactly what noir is defined as. So I'll kind of repeat that here real quick. Um, it is basically, like, kind of associated mostly with hard-boiled detective stories 
stories of the 40s and 50s. The thing about it is that like it's very heavily associated with a look specifically. So most if not all film noirs typically typically are like low key, high contrast, black and white visuals. And there's like lots of smoking. There's always like a down on his luck detective that's like tricked by a sexy femme fatale. Lots of murders and frame jobs and love affairs. Very cynical worldview. Like you're thinking movies like The Maltese Falcon, The Big Sleep, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is a noir. <laughs> Veronica Mars is a noir. Blade Runner is a noir. Lots of like lots of stuff that are sort of inspired by that. But the thing about it is that like it's packed with so many both visual cues and like narrative cues in terms of the types of character archetypes and the tropes that it has and the story beats that it has that you can sort of just pull like pick and if you wanted to like Smallville fully committed to all of these things and tried to take all of those pieces and make it into like one very authentic noir. But you have episodes like Step by Step, Step which sort of pick and choose what they want from it and sort of like we're going to we're going to pull the detective stuff. We're going to pull like femme fatalish type stuff. We're going to pull like frame jobs. Um, and we're even going to kind of pull like a cynical worldview kind of thing. But then we're going to leave out some of the other stuff, play with it, replace some other stuff, replace smoking with toothpicks. And now that's what we got. <laughs> no, thanks. I'm trying to quit. The, the reason I asked specifically about the black and white is because this, me- this episode stuck out to me like, like, it made such an imprint on me and and I have such a like lasting memory of this to the point where like I don't know how many step by step episodes I could have very specifically recounted to somebody without sort of looking through the episode list but this was one of them and I think it was so even though it picks and chooses and even though it's obviously like a satire um of of uh, or like a spoof or whatever of film noir I think mm-hmm. it was successful enough in standing apart from everything else the show was doing that I thought it was in black and white. Like my memory of it was in black and white because it felt like they committed so much to the joke. And so mm-hmm. when I when I like after suggesting it to you a while back and then rewatching it to make sure I knew what I was talking about, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is in color." Like I did not remember this being in color. It's so funny. It is kind of surprising because other there are like I remember there were TGIF episodes where they did do them in black and sure. white. Like there was some time travel ones of like Sabrina and boy meets world that were in black and white. So Sabrina they, did like well, a full on like silent film spoof. Yeah. So they very well could have, I'm, I'm surprised that they didn't, but yeah. you know, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't hurt it or anything like that. It's just kind of, kind of odd that they decided to not do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, they clearly could have gotten away with it because I remembered it being that way anyway, you know? That's so funny. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think to, to be clear to listeners, like I didn't know this episode existed. Doug pitched this one to me as one that he remembered, which I'm glad that you did because I don't, I'm sure I would have eventually like come across it by looking at lists of noir episodes, but it definitely would never have been very high on <laughs> lists of episodes to do. <laughs> yeah, it's like the ones that I would have remembered are like this one, the one that has to do with pregnancy or, or childbirth, I guess. And then like the Steve Urkel crossover, maybe like those are the sure. ones I could have confidently said happen. Makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool, cool. Uh, like I said, not a lot of background information, so we can go ahead and just start talking about the episode itself. The dream got broken, seemed like all was lost. What would be the future? Could you pay the cost? You won't. Will there ever be a second time around?
So this series, like we said at the top, if you want to watch it along with us, it is streaming on HBO Max. It is also, interestingly, the complete series, it's all on DVD. They were released between 2018 and 2020. Hmm. Like, at some point, some, I guess, executive was sort of like, you know, we've never released step-by-step. People are clamoring for step-by-step in the year 2018, right? Some of us clearly are. That does explain why it looks as good as it does on HBO Max. I was surprised mm-hmm. at how good it frequently looks. I mean, minus the pilot, yeah. the pilot, like, oh my gosh, uh, yeah. gave me a headache. But a lot of it looks good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like this episode, uh, it definitely feels not necessarily remastered, but it definitely feels like it's been upscaled or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So the episode we're talking about, Case of the Missing Diary, synopsis per IMDb is Cody uses the loss of Karen's diary as the basis for a writing class project. That he does. That's an undersell for sure. <laughs> really did. Really is. <laughs> the original air date was April 29th, 1994. It was written by Robert Grifford and Howard Adler. They were the writing team on shows like Head of the Class, Perfect Strangers, and Two of a Kind. All China checks out. It was directed by Richard Coral. He is the co-creator of Hannah Montana, first oh. of all. <laughs> wow. Damn, dude. Probably raking in the big bucks for that mm-hmm. one. Uh, but he's 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 directed on tons of sitcoms since the 80s, actually, uh, including Perfect Strangers, Family Matters, all that, The Amanda Show, tons of Disney Channel shows, including like That's So Raven and The Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, uh, and up through and including Fuller House and Raven's Home, like as or as recent as last year, I think. So dude's been working for a long time. Yeah. And I can't imagine the types of residuals he's get he gets. <laughs> Well, especially based on how long you said this show was rerunning. Uh-huh. For real. For and real. Literally everything else he was doing. Clearly this was not his big moneymaker. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the episode it has a cold open to it. Um we can zoom past this because it's not really much of anything. It's basically just uh just Dana, who's the oldest daughter, and like I guess her, her thing, she's like the feminist, right? Like the kind of the yeah. strong headed feminist. She's she's like if you think of like 10 things I hate about you, she's like the older sister and Karen's like the younger sister. One is like the pretty popular girl who just cares about like social status. And then Dan is like smart feminist sort of like hard quote, hard to date. Like they make a lot of jokes about her sort of like having a rough dating life. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Dana and Karen, who you mentioned, she's like the beauty of the family. Um, They're studying. They see a spider. Al, who's like the middle daughter, who's like a tomboy. Uh, She goes in to kill it for them, but the girls want her to take it outside. It is kind of cute. I mean, look at it. (laughs) Well, it's awfully cold outside, so you do deserve a nice warm place to sleep. Like Dana's bed. Cool. <laughs> this show, it, I, I don't know if it started doing this, but at some point it really picked it up. It does a lot of those sort of like cold open and post uh, cold. It's not a cold closing, but like just like a credits joke like type situation. Yeah, it'll like yeah. bookend with like jokes. I wonder, do you think that they do this in service of Cody's story so that you think Al is suspicious? Oh, I didn't think about that. I wasn't connecting it with connecting with the story at all, but I could sort of see that because she is like the prime suspect throughout the entire thing, pretty much. So I mean, it, it it doesn't really connect to anything. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't. But it does sort of prime you to be suspicious of the of the girls kind of having an antagonistic relationship. Like, like I said, yeah. if you're like me and are just sort of dropping in, it gives you a taste of those characters. 
Right, right, because you don't really get to see very much of the actual characters in this episode. Yeah, that's one thing that I thought was going to be weird. Like, if you if you just watch this episode, you wouldn't really get a sense of any of the characters. Or if you did, I don't know that you could feel confident that you were getting an accurate sense of them. You know what I mean? Like, I think if you're familiar yeah. with the show, you kind of figure out why they tell the jokes they do with each character. But as I was watching it, I was like, I wonder if, if this is going to, if any of these characters are going to make any sense since they're all personas or whatever. Well, the thing is, because I did watch this one before I went back and watched any other episodes. Um, and honestly, out of context, be, because most of the episode is spent in sort of this dream reality. Like mm-hmm. the thing is like, their their character personas that they're playing in the dream they don't really seem to be necessarily direct like connections or riffs on who they were outside of like occasional references um and at least not in a way that really matters you know some so, of them like, go for it and others completely ignore it right like and I, and I karen think the popular that- girl is obviously like the pretty one in the story like- <laughs> right so i think ultimately like it doesn't really matter because you kind of come out of it figuring that you don't aren't going to know who the characters are by mm-hmm. the end of this one so yeah i guess as an introduction to the show this isn't a good episode for that but like if you don't really care either way about that it also doesn't matter if you don't know who they are because yeah. you're not really missing any jokes if you don't know who they are in the real world i imagine that a lot of the episodes you cover on this show probably are not great introductions to their respective shows <laughs> yeah although you would be surprised yeah. there have been a couple of them where it's sort of like this actually would make a good first episode for someone weirdly <laughs> enough as like a hook. Yeah. It depends. It depends on the structure of it because sometimes episodes use their sort of weird gimmick high concept thing, knowing that it could be a standout episode and that it could be something that attracts new viewers mm-hmm. or be like, you know, something be, it could be sort of a stunt type thing. And so they do write it a little bit in mind to sort of reintroduce new viewers before the concept kicks in sometimes. Sure. So. The real story begins when Cody, who is, you know, the, 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 I guess his, his sort of archetype, he's Frank's nephew, right? Like that's, that's who he comes in as. And he's just like, he's this like cool, kind of like ostensibly sort of like dumb Valley teen, but like clearly he has like hidden depths and is actually like really smart in his own way. It's just sort of like a cloud cuckoo lander, I guess, kind of, kind of thing going on. And a thing that I didn't really, I wouldn't have been able to identify as a kid, but really appreciate as an adult is he's like unshakably positive and optimistic and like nice. Like you have these six kids who are always in combat with each other and he's always like nice and positive and sunshiny. Oh, I like that. I hadn't really gotten that on the couple that I watched, but that checks out. Yeah. He sometimes serves as like a peacemaker when it gets like to the worst points, but then Mm -hmm. even just like, uh, like, I don't know. He's just, he's just always nice and positive. It's really cool. Like the, the sort of Valley teen thing. Uh, is used in like a really sort of like refreshing positive way as opposed to sort of like a a sort of nasty mean girls type of way. Yeah, well he doesn't he doesn't seem to be like the butt of the jokes most of the time. Uh or or like if he is like he's also kind of in on the joke at the same time. Yeah. Like yeah. He like doesn't get when people are making fun of him which makes it like almost like oh like he d- you don't have to care if someone's making fun of you. Like you can just <laughs> roll with it. Right. <laughs> 
So he's like, uh, he's working on a 40 style mystery on like a typewriter in the middle of the kitchen, by the way, which I think is really cute. And there's just like tons of paper like strewn about everywhere. So I guess he's having trouble with it. Um, he's, he's working on, on a 40 style mystery for his creative writing mystery course. Mm-hmm. Is he in high school or college? I have he's, no, I can't tell. He's in college. This is, it, you wouldn't get that from this, but there's a whole thing about like he and Dana are in college together and he's actually like kind of brilliant but also an idiot. So, okay. I didn't realize Dana was that old. I thought Dana was still in high school. Cool. But yeah, so he's working on that. Karen comes down and tells Cody and Dana, who's also there. Okay, Dana, where's my diary? How am I supposed to know? Well, someone took it. I left it on my dresser and now it's gone. Whoa, that's a perfect idea for my forties mystery. The case of the missing diary. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> so that's when we transition to the dream reality that we're in for pretty much the rest of the episode. It is specifically called The Big City, 1940. <laughs> yes. I love that. <laughs> Even the settings of everything are jokes and puns. It's great. This is The Big City. The kind of a place where if you don't watch your back, you'll end up wearing a sign that says, Kick Me. The name's Spud, Sam Spud. I'm a private detective, a Seamus, a gumshoe. Cody is playing Sam Spud at Sam Spud Detective Agency, like a play on Sam Spade, obviously. I didn't and even like, get that. I don't even, yeah. <laughs> it's not even a reference I knew and I still thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like. The whole there's okay. There's so much here though. I already have a ton of like just little <laughs> notes because the thing is like like I said, there's a sort of really interesting like visual pun humor mm-hmm. throughout it, and they play with like the language like like the phrase "gum shoe." He has literal gum on his shoe. Uh huh. He says the <laughs> day like, threw me a curve or whatever, and and some somebody throws him a, a baseball. <laughs> yeah, Ooh, I don't just know from off screen. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Uh, like the kind of place where if you don't watch your back, you'll wear a sign that says "kick me," and he's also <laughs> literally wearing a "kick me" sign. Like it's really absurd, but like it. But it's like I was really surprised at the density of jokes, like right off the bat. Yeah, it's it's a lot. It surprised me too because, like, again, my memory of it was a bit more sincere. Probably because, again, I I probably only would have latched on to half of the jokes at the time because I would have been like five years old when this episode happened. That's when I would have seen it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty nonstop, except for a few moments that are sort of key to actually moving Cody's story's plot along. Yeah. And like you said, he is really good because right off the bat, he has this like old school mid-Atlantic accent. That's like your your prototypical um, hard boiled detective sort of persona, like like accent that he has Mm -hmm. and like the dude nails it. Like I'm so (laughs) like everybody is sort of overacting a little bit. Like it is sort of like they're, they're cast in a, in a film noir play rather than like authentically acting in a film noir, Mm -hmm. but intentionally because it is a heightened world. So like there's sort of a balance you have to strike with that. And it's like really good. He's, he's like, just nailing the character that he's playing. I think I would be really curious to watch, I mean, literally anything else Sacha Mitchell's in because I haven't seen anything other than this because he's, his body language and his facial expressions, I think, are incredible. Like, he never stops acting, and not in, like, an obnoxious way. Like, he's just mm-hmm. constantly, like, embodying the character he's playing, both as Cody, but then also as Sam Spud. And the two sort of blend together in this episode in a really wild way that could be really mind fucky, and I think mm-hmm. does get some of the cast members. 
um, where you can sort of see them slipping in and out or struggling with like the period, but it never yeah. trips him up. Yeah, that's so true. Like there is the layer there because he's sort of playing the kind of like like a doofusy valley guy, you know, kind of thing underneath the veneer of a detective. Yeah, <laughs> of like a forties detective, and like both layers are always present. Um, and the weight which is, only you know, shifts hard. for the sake of a bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. It's really yeah. That's <laughs> he dude's talented i know uh, and i never would have realized it i would have just thought he no. was like a guy playing an idiot i, I don't right. think if i had never gone back I, I just would have written him off as oh yeah he played an idiot how hard could that be yeah exactly exactly so uh the story of this kicks off when a femme, a femme fatale kind of looking karen whose stage <laughs> name is kitty meow hi there are you sam spud so it says on the door doesn't it Actually, it says, Dupes Moss. Whoa. I put my name on the wrong side of the door. No wonder business has been so slow. May I come in? Sure. Take a load off, sister. This dame was a knockout. She had the kind of legs that made you wish you were a pair of no-nonsense pantyhose. And I could see why. She was a no-nonsense kind of dame. Toothpick? No, thanks. I'm trying to quit. So, uh, what seems to be the problem, Miss? Meow. Kitty meow. Kitty meow? What were your parents thinking? That's my stage name. <laughs> meow. Kitty meow. <laughs> Kitty meow. <laughs> Oh boy. Um, she's a singer in a nightclub. Um, also I I like the detail when she comes in, she's like, doesn't know his name because the name is backwards on the door. (laughs) That cracked me up. Her delivery is really good too. Cause she like pauses. So you're not entirely sure where it's going to go immediately. Uh, and then her just saying dupes Moss. (laughs) (laughs) And it's funny. I didn't even notice the name was backwards. No, me neither. And it's backwards on his window too. It it always says Sam Spud facing inward, not outward. (laughs) That's so funny. That's so funny. Uh, and the fact that he has his name printed on his window when it's like clearly meant to be like far up in a skyscraper, mm-hmm. it seems like too. Yeah. It's all good. There's so many. It, yeah. It's, there's a lot happening. <laughs> a lot of jokes <laughs> happening at the same time. Um, but yeah, so she comes in, she's looking for a detective. Uh, she's hiring him to help her find her stolen diary because someone stole her diary, just like in real life. Mm-hmm. Sam says, and I quote, she had the kind of legs that made you wish you were a pair of no nonsense pantyhose. <laughs> The, cool. There is. Yeah. There's one, one thing that I, 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 I initially forgot that like Karen's like Karen plays the, the victim in this noir story. Um, and so for like a hot second, I was like, Oh, the, it's like kind of weird maybe, but it, it ends up being so funny that nothing's actually weird. Cause it's all absurd. Right. So like right. at first when she walks in and she's like playing this like sexy femme fatale, I was like, Oh no, they're making the teenager play the sexy femme fatale. Yeah. And then it's immediately stupid. Like it's yeah, so well, good, and, but she's not actually 
like using her sexuality or anything like that right. in the way that like an actual femme fatale. She's not and even if, a femme fatale in this. Like there's never like she comes in like a femme fatale right. would, but then like she's never she never does anything bad. Like and she if, is always the victim. Yeah, she it, never basically. does anything bad. And if she ever does anything that's supposed to be sexy, it's like a it's it's she's almost playing younger to a degree because she's like it, it feels like she is a young girl imitating somebody being sexy on TV. Like when she flutters her eyelashes, she does it for way too long. Or when she yeah. like touches his hand, it's like the most obvious, ridiculous thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Or when she like turns right. her head, it's always like super exaggerated. <laughs> right. It's great. I also like, you know, I don't work for peanuts, you know. Okay, I'll take the case. <laughs> but it's going to cost you. I don't work for peanuts, you know. I know. That's why I brought these. Ah, cashews. <laughs> and I swear to God, when she gives them her a bag of combos, I it looks exactly so like a bag of combos. So it has to be combos, because I thought the yeah. exact same thing. Yeah, but apparently they were cashews of in course. the universe of this dream. But there was a, she definitely gave them combos, <laughs> which are better than cashews, in my opinion. So whatever. Oh. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Sam goes to investigate Club Sandwich. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So stupid. That so only serves stupid. one thing. Chili. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I forgot about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, he goes there because that's the club that she sings at. Um, he, he goes and just starts to kind of check out the, all the potential suspects. The club was owned by a guy named Frankie the Tuna Sandwich. They called him the Tuna because if you crossed him, he backed you in water. Frankie the Tuna Sandwich, who is Frank with like a horrible mustache. It looks so bad on him. <laughs> it looks very bad. It looks very bad. <laughs> they managed to like kill it with all of the hair, but they couldn't kill it with a single mustache. <laughs> God. Uh, uh, everybody else's costume and hair looks great in this episode, yeah. but you know, so I guess I'll forgive that one, that one misstep. But yeah, we see we see all all the roles that the rest of the family play. Like um the the group that Kitty sings with is with uh, the Andrew stepsisters, I think is who they're called, mm-hmm. and that's Dana and Al is also in the group. Um, the eldest son JT is Buddy Rimshot, <laughs> who's a terrible comedian that no one laughs at. You know, I tell you, my mother in law she's so fat that when she wears yellow, people think she's a school bus. You're a great audience. Now I know why they call it a depression. <laughs> like the show tells you he's not supposed to be funny, which is which really works because he's telling like stupid, offensive, but like not not inappropriate. Just like like your mom's fat jokes, and like no one laughs. <laughs> yeah, it's and there's great. an actual rim shot every time mm-hmm. he says anything. He's wearing it's like funny. a comically like comic like not an actual pinstripe suit. It's like like over. Like over exaggerated, like weird cartoonish pinstripe suit. <laughs> it's good. It's good. You're a great audience. Now I know why they call it a depression. <laughs> Carol is uh, Mrs. Honeydew, who's a singer. A somebody I'm longing to see. I hope that he turns out to be. Someone who watch over me. 
Her voice is really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's really good. She's a good singer. She I, gets a whole little performance. I don't Great. know for certain, but I do think they're all singing. Like, I think even the girls are singing because it sounds like them or they just got it's, really good sound alikes. Yeah. I mean, either way, it's good. Uh, I, I think it's got to be them because it, it seems like the kind of thing where like they know that they know that Suzanne Summers can sing or she wants to sing at some mm-hmm. point. So they... Because because it goes on for long enough that it feels like it's meant to be it's also an not the, actor spotlight. It's also not the only time that they have characters from the show, including Carol and Karen, sing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they I think the actors just must be down, and obviously Suzanne Summers is, but like the kids seem to be down too. Yeah, it's also funny too because that's another Smallville connection. Because in their noir episode, they have like Lois is a lounge singer, and just the actress wanted to sit was a singer and wanted to sing at some point and. She gets to do a little ditty in their noir episode just because. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. The youngest son, Brendan, the one who has like no personality, is playing on the piano and I guess just being cute and not doing anything yeah. else. He's being cute and stupid. That's his whole personality for like, <laughs> he, he's cute and stupid for like three to four seasons and then he's just stupid for like a season or two because <laughs> he so like sad. grows up. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's so sad. Um, but yeah, everybody's a suspect. Uh, as Sam says when he, uh, like to Frank, even as a nun walks by and he's like, Hey sister, I got a few questions. <laughs> it's very funny. Wipe that holier than thou look off your face. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, yeah. So he asked Miss Dew, uh, some questions as well, or actually this is, this is a gr- great setup for a joke. Like it's so like they they take such a long, a long walk to get to this joke. Mind if I ask you a couple of questions there, Miss Dew? Alone? Ah, sure, I get it. Three's a crowd. I always thought three's company. Thank you. I think the rim shot is what makes it because it's sort of like, yeah, we know this is she, <laughs> this is this is bad. And she even even her character even is written to respond to it. Like they don't just rim shot it. They like rim shot it and she's like, thank you. Like <laughs> it's just it's like so over the top. Is that a thing that comes up frequently? Like, do they make references to her career a lot? Um, I, well, they, I mean, they do it so many times in this episode. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they made others. I want to say that there was another episode that I watched um, where they made some sort of reference to it, but I think it was just, it might've just been in line with like the exercise. The exercise stuff is what she, her character references the most, more than like anything else. Yeah. I yeah. doubt there's like three's company jokes a lot, but I could be wrong. Makes sense. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. It'd be harder to work in. Like, you know, in this case, they had to really work to make this joke mm-hmm. work, but yeah. I was happy to hear it when, when they did it. There's also, this is another one that really feels like a, uh, like a, like a, like an exchange that you'd hear an airplane. Um, Cause plot wise, there's a conversation between Miss Dew and Sam where she's sort of like telling him that maybe one of the other girls and in, <laughs> in Kitty's group might be, you know, might be jealous of Kitty and want a shot at center microphone. Right. So that could be their motive. But the way that they get to that is like such a great exchange. Do you have any idea who would want to steal Kitty Meow's diary? Oh, I can't imagine who'd want to do such a terrible thing to a sweet gal like Kitty. Although the other girls in the group do have a motive. What's that? A motive. That's a reason for wanting to steal the <laughs> And what's that? It's a little book. You write your personal thoughts. <laughs> it's funny because the joke would have been funny after one of those. And then when they yeah. do it again, it just is 
even funnier. It, right. Like, I don't know. It's I wasn't expecting it because I thought the joke already landed. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the thing I think this episode excels at is be- because it has such like a high density of jokes, like it makes it really like you almost can't kind of catch your you can't really you almost like not that you're like hysterically laughing all the time but you almost can't like catch your breath from one before another joke comes up because they're constantly piling one on another and like they're not like the most intelligent jokes either but they're like not meant to be they're yeah. meant to just be sort of absurd and it is so absurd so constantly that like i don't know it's just a, it just works really well and not every joke is spotlighted some of them are literally like set gags or like yeah. things that are specifically funny because they don't acknowledge them like when we get to when we get to a particular suitcase like there's something that's funny in that scene specifically because no one acknowledges it <laughs> yes yes <laughs> yeah well we're getting there we'll get there. actually we're right, we're here pretty much right now so one of uh, one of the singers coco who's uh, played by al um She's on her way out to like play baseball with the Detroit Tigers, which I guess is just because Al's a tomboy in real life. I guess. Doesn't really seem to make any sense in the context of this yeah. story or dream, but all right, you got her in a baseball outfit, sure. <laughs> she's like, all right, I'm out to play baseball. She like trips on the floorboard and then falls, drops her suitcase, which like opens. Uh huh. And it contains a ticking time bomb uh-huh. that Sam just like looks at, casually throws off screen, it explodes, and no one comments on it. Amazing. And then he also finds Kitty's diary. And so. and there's a Tommy gun in her suitcase that no oh, one right. comments on. No right. one comments on the fact that she's carrying a Tommy gun around in her suitcase. With a ticking time bomb <laughs> that goes off well, in seconds. That's what's so funny about it is I, I didn't notice the Tommy gun the first time. I didn't Because either. I saw the diary. That's what I was supposed to be looking for. And then you have an explosion that I only noticed it the second time around where I was like, wait, was that there the whole time? Yeah, no, it's so funny. And like, no it's explanation, so... no acknowledgement whatsoever. God, it's so bizarre. I love it so much. I love it so much. Yay! <sighs> A diary, Kitty Meow's diary, huh? How'd that get in there? I've been framed. Framed, I tell you, framed. Yeah, sure. That's what the Mona Lisa said. Where are you taking me? Ah, you'll find out. Right after these commercial messages. So she's obviously the prime suspect now because she's literally been caught red-handed with the diary, Mm -hmm. but she claims she was framed. So Yeah, that's what the Mona Lisa said. (laughs) Oh! (laughs) So back at Sam's office, uh, we see Mark, who's playing like a German scientist. I don't think that's like a... Noir yeah, trope. So but strange. Sure. <laughs> like, where does that come from? I mean, outside I of, I guess, know. like, just the era. But it's not like... I guess. I, I, I would have had to rely on you to tell me if that's, like, a thing that comes up a lot. Sounds like it doesn't. I don't think <laughs> so. Uh, no, I, I don't think so. Because noirs it's aren't, like, like, typically, like, international incident type things. They're, like, no. specific smaller cases, right? It's like, I don't know if they're make, trying to, like, make, like, a Doctor Strangelove reference or something, maybe. Or maybe just, like... um the the actor just like 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 just doing a German accent. So they're like, well, why don't we just write him a character that has a German accent? They and then that's how they did it. They do <laughs> like, and, and largely this is because of again Sasha Mitchell's delivery. And then you know the the kid who plays Mark does it. Was it Brandon Call? No, I think I'm mixing him up. That's uh that is Christopher Castile. Thank you. Um, does a decent job doing a bad German accent, I guess, just given some of the weird things he has to say. Guten Morgen, Herr Spud. <laughs> I have some results back. 
from the lab. Talk to me, Professor. You were right. That diary had more fingerprints on it than Madonna. <laughs> So they do manage to get a couple jokes in there, but it is really strange. And it, it also means that his character inside the story is like the last one introduced, like way after everybody else. <laughs> oh, like yeah, yeah. Totally unrelated con- to everything. He gets very little to do because mm-hmm. he's not a suspect or anything either. He's like has this one little minor role and then it's like he's pretty much gone. Yeah. I think he's in the last scene. Maybe. I don't remember if he is or not. Um, uh, I don't know. Sad that you can't even remember if he's in it. Either yeah. way, you know, if he is, he doesn't do anything in it. So Yeah, if he's there, yeah. he's just like sitting at a table or something. Right. There right. is. Kind of a bummer. So one thing that's weird is like in the in when we're introduced to Sam Spud's office, the the setting beyond the windows is like a city, right? It's like oh, the right. big city. And then when they cut to this scene, which is apparently the next day or something, because they have like a rooster know. crowing. The scene outside the windows is a bunch of like windmills and a countryside. And he says, boy, the neighborhood sure is changing. Yeah. Like, truly what is don't that? get the joke. Why truly is... do not get it. <laughs> Other than, I really do think when they were writing this, they were just like, it's a dream. It doesn't have to make any fucking sense. Yeah. So like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's also being written by our like doofus, you know? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess like, yeah, it checks out in universe. <laughs> so it's, it's very, yeah. I don't, I also don't understand this joke. And maybe I maybe I should. Uh, but so the results from the lab that Mark, the German scientist, brings in uh, is that there there aren't any of Coco's fingerprints, but like e- literally everyone else's fingerprints are on there. So like literally everyone is a suspect um, or I should say everyone in the club, I guess yeah. all of their fingerprints are. But he says that diary had more fingerprints on it than Madonna. What is that? What does that mean? I think it's just a, uh, I mean, this is what, early 90s. So I think it's just a joke about Madonna's promiscuous uh, reputation. Because she was so like open, like sexually about, you know, in like a good way. Like, right. Like she, she, (laughs) it's like very sex positive, but I think that's all it is. It doesn't make sense in the setting of the story, but they do make a number of references that are like future dated. So I think that's all it is. Oh, yeah. I don't. I don't mind that. I'm. I totally. I totally think the uh, the pop culture references in the for are, are fine. I, I just didn't get that. I one. think this okay. is the only one that doesn't really work because it feels and it's strange to call this out or any joke for not necessarily working because there's so many of them. It's like a very shotgun strategy. Um, yeah. It. It for. I think because Mark's character in the story is so specific and so over the top and being like totally outside even the genre. It. It's weird that he makes jokes outside of that character and more fingerprints on it than Madonna doesn't seem to make sense for his like weird German scientist character. <laughs> like all <laughs> his other strange. jokes are jokes about the German language or like, are, are like uh, built on the German language, you know? Yeah. He says Z instead of the, ho ho ho. Well, and yeah. whatever his, uh, I laugh at it every time, even though I don't fully get the reference, but like, I did not say it's ever yours. Meine kleine Liebchen. Well, if they're not your client Leapshins, then who's are they? Well, there's Kitty's, Buddy's, Cassie's, Frankie's, Fingers, Honey's, and yours. Und mine? He calls uh, Coco mine Klein Leibchen or whatever. And so then Cody responds, well, if they're not your client, whatever. I can't even say it. Like, that's why I'm I saying like, they did such a good job. I can't even get the words out of my mouth. Yeah. But a lot yeah. of like weird German phrase jokes. Yeah, yeah. It's they did you pick a lot in this one scene. <laughs> Und <Yeah>. mine? <laughs> 
I also like the joke where, you know, it, everyone's fingerprints include Sam's. So Sam's like, I'm a suspect too. Maybe I should put a tail on myself. <laughs> and then he puts a furry tail in just his pants. Pulls out of his desk drawer. He just has like a tail. <laughs> It's so, it's so bizarre. I love it. I love it so much. Uh, so great. <laughs> yeah. So back at the club, Sam gathers everyone and goes down the list of suspects. So we get our kind of classic detective explaining what happened by like narrowing down one by one, what suspect had what motive and what if they did or didn't do it. There's a couple of jokes right off the bat. Like when Frank walks in, he like takes off his hat oh my God. and throws it off screen and you just hear glass shattering. Why does that get and me every time? Like it doesn't so matter good. what show, what setting, what story. It gets me every time. Throwing something yeah. off screen and glass shattering. Like glass shattering or hearing like the pottery smash sound or like <laughs> throw in a cat, a cat screeching yeah. alongside yeah. it. It's always yep. so so good. Kills every Perfect time. Every time. So the first person he goes to is uh, Kitty Meow's co-singer uh, Cassie, who's Dana. Uh, like, could it have been her because she didn't like her and had a chip on her shoulder? He says as he pulls the chip off of her shoulder. <laughs> okay. I read the diary, but I had to. I had a book report due and the library was closed. But I didn't steal it. No, you didn't. That was a practice guess. So she admits to reading the diary for a book report, but she didn't steal it. So move on because to the library was closed. Because <laughs> the library nothing else was to read. <laughs> of course, it was the forties after all. Of like course. where there were you couldn't get books anywhere else. <laughs> uh, could it be Buddy? His secret ambition. So Buddy was the uh, is the comedian who's JT. I know all about your secret ambition. You mean to be a model and live off my looks? <laughs> no, your other secret ambition. To be a singer in an all-girl band. You thought if you could put on a wig and a dress, you could team up with Kitty and Cassie. Oh, oh, okay, okay, I admit it, it's true. I do want to sing in an all-girl band and wear high heels. Is that so wrong? I would never frame Coco to get it. I'm telling you, I'm innocent. Yeah, you are. And you look great in high heels, but that's not the point right now. This actually, this is a good example. There's like, this show doesn't do, or this episode, like we said, doesn't do a great job telling you who every character is in the rest of the show. But when, when, um, when JT's character, Buddy, is talking about wanting to wear high heels and a dress, like at first you're like, oh, that's funny. A boy wants to wear a dress and high heels or whatever the case is. But Cody's character does exactly what Cody would do. And he doesn't like skip a beat. He just says, you'd look great in high heels, by the way, but that's not the point. Like it's that type of thing that Cody does where like everything you want to do is great and everything you're trying to do, you will succeed at. Like it, it, it's the one sort of moment I think in this episode that really shows that like infectious, unshakable positivity. I was so pleased with that joke because they took such an easy nineties, like transphobic kind of joke Mm -hmm. and actually like turned it into something really nice and positive because no one, no one is like chastising Buddy for wanting to wear a dress and yeah. high heels well, at all. <laughs> and I think even though they're not doing a lot of, I, I don't think they're doing a lot of this necessarily intentionally so much as they just have the characters in any given scene and they write them correctly. But like Cody serves that purpose, I think, a lot where they'll make a joke and you're like, oh, that doesn't feel great. But then Cody happens to be there and sort of like, this isn't a great habit for them to be in necessarily. But but you can almost always rely on Cody to sort of like erase the icky joke a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And again, not a great habit to be in, but it makes Cody's character really endearing. 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I like that. I like that the way they landed was just like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, telling telling a guy that he looks great in high heels. I yeah. think that's really nice. Live your dream. We'll all support you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It rules. Uh, but he didn't do it. Um, then we move on to Frankie and Coco because it's revealed that Coco is Frankie's daughter. <gasps> Come on, Spud. The girls were making me money. Why would I want to break up the act? Because you know what show business will do to you. It'll chew you up and spit you out just like Eric Estrada. <laughs> you wouldn't want that to happen to Coco because she's your daughter. <gasps> your daughter. <gasps> your daughter. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I figured it out because Prince of looking at his auto insurance policy. Like, okay, <laughs> sure. Because nobody in their right mind would put a teenager on their insurance policy unless they were his daughter. <laughs> right, right. Um, and the motive would be that Frankie was f- basically framing Coco to keep her out of show business uh, because he knows how show business chews you up and spits you out like Eric Estrada, which is a bizarre pop culture reference. <laughs> but I'm sure that hit real different in 1994. I guess it did. Yeah. I mean, I guess that was sort <laughs> Some of... Some of them don't age as well. Yeah. Because I really only... Rem- I mean, I guess I do know when he was doing a lot of like reality show stuff, but I mostly, honestly, at this point, I know him. I know he was on Chips and then I know he was a voice on C-Lab 2021 and I'm not really familiar with the in-between time there. So I'm assuming he must have hit hard times. I guess. Which is funny because like... <laughs> I don't know. The reality TV stuff, which is what you could consider a celebrity sort of like lower hadn't moments, hadn't even happened. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not really sure what they're referring to, but I don't really know much about Eric Estrada, uh-huh. again, other than that he was on Chips in C-Lab 2021. <laughs> so <laughs> lost, lost on me, but it's fine. Um, it actually, they're actually happy uh, about this. So Frankie didn't actually frame her. That's not what happened because he wouldn't mind her being in show business. You're my father? <laughs> yeah, pal, it's true. You're my daughter. I'm a mafia princess. Susan Lucci. Love that. Do you know the Susan Lucci joke? I don't know the Susan Lucci joke. Oh, I'm not sure either. I I mean, is she actually married to a mom boss? I don't know. know. I like, I know her, like I know her as an actor, but I don't really know anything about her personal life or if like, was that one of a a storyline from a character she played or something? Yeah, I have no idea. I I I mean, she was on a, she's, she was on a soap opera for a long time. Right. So like, yeah. Was it part of that? I have, I have no clue. It could have been. Yeah. I, like I said, yeah, she's, she's one. I know the name and I could like know her face if I saw her probably, but I don't know anything about her. Other than outside <laughs> <of> that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's neither of them. <laughs> Sam's like, well, who's still a suspect? Raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and honeydew who's just kind of annoyed, I guess at this point, confess, just straight up confesses. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo, catch a tiger by the toe. If he hollers, let him go. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. My mother said Okay, you- okay. Quit raking me over the coals. I confess. I did it. It was me. It was? Whoa. I was a little dude by the piano. <laughs> she has this, like, whole complicated thing revealing what happened, like, even like to frame Coco and it even includes loosening the floorboards to make sure she would trip to reveal the open suitcase that had the diary in it. It's uh, it's good. Singing is all I know. I mean, if you kids push me out of the way, what am I supposed to do? Sell exercise equipment, stop my own talk show. <laughs> Which she did, oh. I think that very year. 
Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize that's the timeline of that. That's great. <laughs> well, I had to look yeah. it up because I thought she had a talk show like after the fact. I think she had like a single like dozen episode talk show or something really short lived. I think Ooh. this very year or somewhere very close to when this happened. Oh, wow. That's that's even funnier. I thought it happened yeah. earlier than that. That's hilarious. <laughs> I could be wrong on the timeline, but I yeah. think it was very close. <laughs> sure, sure. That's a, that's a fresh reference. Got it. <laughs> I also like yeah. uh, there's a moment where where Sam Spud breaks character and is like almost purely Cody where, where you know, uh, Honeydew admits to the crime and he's like, whoa, I thought it was a little dude by the piano. <laughs> Just like, he was never going to get it right ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's very funny. It's very funny. They can't even come up with like a good motive for uh for the little, for the youngest kid, like to, to pretend he's a suspect. Yeah. He's just there doing absolutely it's, nothing. It's honestly, hilarious. I wouldn't be surprised if by this point in the show, and granted it's only like three seasons in, but I wouldn't be surprised if at this point, the reason he's just the little dude by the piano is because they already know that they don't really know what to do with him. So even in their story where they could have made him do literally anything or be mm-hmm. literally anyone, he's still just the little dude by the piano. <laughs> You know what I mean? Oh, wow. Yep. It checks out. It checks out. So Honeydew's arrested. Mystery solved. Back in the real world. Al comes down and is like, oh, hey, I found uh, found your diary. Mom must have put it in my drawer by mistake. Okay, cool. Easy solution. Uh, Of course, she reveals she still read it anyway, uh, which angers Karen. She chases her off. Hey, that's a killer new idea for a 40s mystery. The case of the dead stepsister. (laughs) Hey, I feel like that old babe on Murder, She Wrote. That is a line that I, I I wouldn't have even really remembered it was part of this episode necessarily, but I do remember that. I feel like that old babe on Murder, She Wrote. That I've never (laughs) forgotten because I also was watching Murder, She Wrote, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's good. Good. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, what a fun episode though. I'm I was so charmed and surprised by how much I liked it. Not to say that like I, I went in expecting like, you know, a pretty inoffensive yeah. Miller Boyette sitcom. Um and it is still that, but it's it's a lot it was a lot funnier than I expected. And I know that not every episode is like this, obviously, but mm-hmm. I I think that they really took their concept and ran with it. Uh, in a way that I didn't expect. And I think it really helps that this is centered entirely around one of their most charming characters in Cody. Sure. Like Cody really isn't just an idiot. He's a really charming, well-acted character. So for the whole episode to to sort of revolve around or be pushed along by him, I think makes uh, makes a really good impression because everything's in like really light spirits because uh, it's all coming out of his brain, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, it's yeah, it's a good, it's a good use of the concept, and it just really seems like everybody on set is having a lot of fun mm-hmm. too. And yeah. they, they, they even uh, the credits scene is like the Andrews stepsisters like doing a full version of the song. Like they even yeah. do like a fun little uh, credits performance. Right, yeah. So so fun. It's all so fun. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't get over their hair. Their hair looks so good. Yeah. It's probably the first time I ever saw, I don't remember what those are called. I think when it's one, it's called like a victory roll or something. I don't I don't mm. remember what it's called when it's the two of them on like, uh, like a like typically a woman's uh, head. Like I can't remember what that's called, but it it, uh, it looks so good. It's probably the first time I ever saw it, and I was like fascinated. It's like that yeah. looks so cool, and it still looks yeah. cool. 
I think like all of the all the costumes on this episode like look good, you know, for what obviously they're operating on like a network sitcom budget, right? So you kind of know what to expect. So considering that it does still feel like they went as all out as they could for this. And I think they were smart just sort of keeping it to two pretty simple sets like you have sam spade's very small office and then you have just a pretty basic like nightclub interior Mm -hmm. Um, and then you know since it's a sitcom they don't have to worry about like you know cool lighting or anything like that so it's all like lit like normal um but that means that they can just sort of kind of pack it with whatever props that they want and i think that considering like they obviously must have just redressed some sets they already had it still looks good and like distinct from it like it does still feel like a different piece uh, of the show. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like they just redress some sets, yeah. I guess is all I'm trying to say. Yeah. Uh, so it, it definitely feels like they put a lot of effort into this one, which, which is uh, always impressive on a, on a sitcom like this. Yeah. That's definitely not known for like budget and production quality, you know? Totally. Well, and, and, and you know, they, they, I think even just along with how much they clearly, like how much effort they clearly put into the sets, they clearly put a lot of effort into the script too, because Cody's always pretty well written. I don't know how much of that has to do with just like maybe, Sasha Mitchell is able to sort of roll like run with whatever they sort of generally write for him or if they're very specifically mm-hmm. writing for him but this whole thing is basically like him so it's yeah. not just like let's write a good Cody interaction here and a good Cody interaction there it's like the whole 20 minutes is dedicated to that sure which sure. can't be an easy task no absolutely absolutely yeah nailed it they nailed it yeah any other any other thoughts you have about this episode before we close up not necessarily about this episode but i will say can i say something brave um i think friends ruined the hair on this show uh because i i the Hmm. first like four seasons or so uh their hair was totally fascinating to me it was always like very voluminous and like like messy but in very intentional ways and then Mm -hmm. right around when friends hits they all have like boring knockoff rachel layered hair uh, and I hate that's it. That's a bummer. So that that's all. Bummer. That's my last <laughs> thought. <laughs> I think that's a good thought. Yeah. Thanks so much for uh, for for making me aware of this episode and finally getting me to fully dive into step by step for the first time in my life. Really. Yeah, of course. I would recommend people. I don't know that you nece- like anybody necessarily needs to make step by step their next like full series rewatch or anything, <laughs> but I do think it's worth like picking some episodes that stand out to you. Um, from HBO Max if you have it. And there are certain episodes of the show that are sort of like standard 90s sitcom staples um, mm-hmm. that are still really fun too. Because I think there are certain sort of 90s sitcom tropes that are always fun to see like different iterations of. Yeah, yeah. I think this episode in particular, it's worth watching just because it's very charming. Yeah. And I think it nails what it's trying to do. And it's just very funny and packed with so many jokes. It's great. It's good, it's good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks again. Um, if anyone wants to find you on the internet, Doug, if anyone wants to talk to you about uh, about about their their step by step feelings and challenge your your brave take about step by step friends ruined step by step hair. Yeah, where, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Icky Bully, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. I also am on a couple podcasts, uh, one called Victory Road, which is a Pokemon podcast. You can find that just by searching Victory Road, a Pokemon podcast, or one about books and video games called Novel Gaming, um, which is pretty easy to find. And then I do a number of projects with you, Derek, but I have a feeling you'll probably mention those. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Derek B. Gale or on my other podcasts that I do with Doug. 
Walloping Web Snappers, a Spider-Man podcast which does deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made, and also Falling with Style, an ongoing Pixar movie marathon, which is a monthly podcast that dives into every Pixar film chronologically. You can also follow this podcast at Gimmicks Pod on Twitter and Instagram for some extra goodies. And email me your questions, feedback, and corrections to gimmickspodcast at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on all your podcast platforms. Until next time, friends, keep being weird. suspect too. Why, maybe I should put a tail on myself.